0: Welcome to today, and welcome to Death Valley Girls Podcast. I'm Bonnie, and I talk to heroes about what excites them, and we also talk about the mysteries of the universe. This week, I got to talk to Ronnie Pontiac, author of American Metaphysical Religion, and so much more. I think I really take it for granted, these types of books, the book that spans centuries and maybe thousands and thousands of years where someone has spent decades searching, learning, and compiling the coolest, most esoteric, and secret content, forming it into a book and making it available for you to read without you having to do any of the heavy lifting. It's so cool that there's just like one source for all this info. We're really lucky to live in a time like this. Um, I learned so much from Ronnie. I know you will too. I'll attach the link to his book below. And now, please welcome to your head and heart Ronnie Pontiac hi 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 thank you so much for coming back here um I'm so I'm so excited to get to pick your brain as it were again for a second time um i apologize that the first one got erased but thank I'm you. i'm
1: always happy to see you i'm <laughs> very happy to be back here
0: yeah thank you well um i wanna i have basically i guess i have so many things to ask you um and i i want to start uh with your book um just if you can um it's such a huge, huge conversation. Obviously it's a whole book, but I guess I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about your book and um, maybe if it's okay and why it's important to you to give the sort of American um, historical, you know, why you focus not on just the whole topic, but on, on America. I'm super interested to ask you that question.
1: Sure. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll tell you the story behind it. Which okay. is oh, and one, the,
0: the name of your book, please.
1: Oh, sure. It's American Metaphysical Religion, Esoteric and Mystical Traditions of the New World. Cool. And it started out when I was working for Manley Hall as his research assistant. And I was in the vault with him, which had all these incredible manuscripts and old books. And I had the privilege of having lunch with him in there often. And he allowed me to ask him questions about any of the books. So there was this big tome that was down on the bottom shelf by the, on the floor, really big leather bound thing. And I looked at it and I said, what's that? And he said, oh, that's a good one. You should you should check it out. So I pulled it out, looked at it. It was a newspaper and it was called The Platonist. And it was published around the time of the gunfight at the OK Corral in St. Louis when St. Louis was still a, a cow town. Cowboys everywhere. And I couldn't understand what this thing was. Like, why would anybody publish something called the Platonist with all these translations of Plato and other esoteric stuff? Like, uh, there was translations of Alephus Levi, the ceremonial magician from Paris, and I was like, what? Like that—that that didn't meet my, you know, experience of what American history was. So he didn't know much about it. I tried to find information. I went to all the college libraries around here in LA and couldn't find a thing about it.
0: Yeah. Do you? Sorry. Do you, uh, sure. do you remember when that was around?
1: When I found like, this? Or yeah. A,
0: just like a, I, Just because it's. It's. I think one really interesting part of this whole thing is how new all of this information we can get is. So yeah. do you remember when around? This was
1: like mid eighties okay. when I was working with him. Isn't so that crazy? there was. Yeah. There wasn't much available. I mean, online wasn't really happening yet. It was just the very beginnings of it. And, yeah. and there was uh just a. it was amazing to have his vault in his library, obviously, because there were so many things there that you couldn't find anywhere else. But about this one mystery, I couldn't find much. You know, I found out a little bit about one of the writers in it, Alexander Wilder, who had edited Isis Unveiled for Madame Blavatsky. And cool. So as I continued, after I left PRS, when he asked me to, um, and even when we were touring in in the band, we would always stop at bookstores and, and libraries looking for information about the Platonist. And as we did that, we found other things like that, like these mysteries about things that were going on in America that I'd never heard of that were really esoteric and fascinating. And then there was the explosion that you're referring to, of new research that started around 2000, really in the 80s, there were a couple books that started to come out. There was one by a guy named Harold Bloom, which was a really important book called The American Religion. And in it, he said, you know, American religion isn't Christianity. It's He called it uh, uh, California Orphism, and it's <laughs> okay. New Age version. Okay. And he said, it's really Gnostic, and it's mystical, and it's, it's not uh, what we think it is. But there were just a few little books like that. There was another book by a guy named Butler that came out around then who said, I just did all the research. And it turns out that most of the early colonists weren't really Christian. They didn't really go to church. They There's lots of complaints from preachers saying we can't get these people to go to church. They have their own superstitious beliefs or whatever they dismissed it as. Um, and then there was this tidal wave of new research because This book was published in the 2000s called A Republic of Mind and Spirit by this incredible scholar, uh, Catherine Albanese. And she just like lays it out. She said, there is this other religion. It's been here from the beginning of America, and it is a huge influence. And she outlined everything that opened this field of study, which has been named American metaphysical religion. And and so I was getting all this new research and I was I was contacting professors and saying, hey, you know, I can't afford your book. Can you send me something? And they were so kind to me. They sent me all kinds of supportive material. And all of a sudden I was able to put together the story behind the Platonist. And with it came like hundreds of other stories of of incredible people. And it completely changed our view of american history it, yeah. it it was something that that was so revolutionary so that's why i i felt like i had to write all this down because most people never hear about these books right. they're they're so expensive and they're obscure and and i wanted people like us to have that research in our hands so we could see that america actually is not the country that we were taught that it was it's actually this metaphysical experiment
0: It's so cool. (laughs) Thank you so much for writing that because it's totally blew my mind. You know, like uh, just even just the stuff that's uh, the description of your book is really mind blowing. And I guess what happened to make it into the way we think of it now, uh, America? It
1: was a very well, part of it was kind of accidental and part of it was deliberate. The accidental part was that in academia, they didn't really think that it was worth studying. For a long time, they thought that in religious studies, the only things you should study are the big institutions that really influenced civilizations and history. So the Catholic Church, the Protestant churches, uh, Islam and such, those were okay to study. But even the Pentecostal religion was considered flaky and not worth studying. And then eventually in the 50s and 60s, and in there, they started to kind of look at the fringes of Christianity as, well, this is interesting, let's, let's document this. But this revolution that's occurred is this new attitude, which is, it's not up to us to decide if this stuff is real, or if it's important or anything like that. It's our job to record it accurately, and to let people know what was going on. So this opened up this whole new thing and archives that had never been opened before uh, journals and letters and all kinds of amazing things that no one had ever seen were suddenly being written about. And you got to see, wow, you know, Lincoln and the civil war generals in the North were alchemists and they were all into spiritualism and seances and stuff. And the pilgrims who were supposed to be so, you know, Christian, Christian, well, not really, because the, the first governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, John Winthrop, the senior, his son was a total Rosicrucian fan, an alchemist, an astrologer, um, a guy who was taking John Dee's books to America. And John Dee was this amazing kind of wizard for Queen Elizabeth, who was an expert in all the metaphysical things. He was her astrologer. And he was one of the principal influences on the whole Rosicrucian revolution. That was such a huge part of the whole esoteric history in the West. And over and over again, we kept finding this. And so we found that like um, a good example, I think is Cotton Mather, who we think of as the Salem witch trials. And he was a Christian judge. Well, he was friends with John Winthrop, the younger. And and he said about him, he called him in his eulogy for him. Hermes Christianus, the Christian Hermes. Now, either way you look at Hermes, that's pagan. It's either the Greek god or it's the Roman, I'm sorry, the uh, ancient Egyptian, thrice greatest Hermes. So for a, a pilgrim, this, this devout Christian to describe his friend that he loves as, oh, wow, this guy was a Christian Hermes. That tells yeah. us they were not as, as uh, you know strict in that sense as we thought they were. So that, that being the case throughout American history and seeing how so many amazing people and things were forgotten, and especially women, because women throughout America's history have been flourishing in the world of metaphysics and finding power in it. And, and in fact, in the 1800s, most women and the men who supported them were fighting for women's rights, for the end of slavery, and for metaphysics, for spiritualism or some other form of it. And so I was amazed to see women who had no power in American society at these times. They couldn't own property. They, they weren't supposed to speak around men. They weren't allowed to attend important lectures. And suddenly they would become mediums or they would become uh, some other way inspired by metaphysics. And they would wind up speaking to thousands of men and being written about in newspapers. And they were leaders politically and spiritually in the country. So all of that, not really having been written about by somebody like me, you know, really an amateur who just wants to share it with other people who like this stuff as opposed to academic rigor, you know. Um, I, I definitely felt like that was a calling. And also it was continuing Manley Hall's work in a way because he loved to write about America. He had the idea that America had the secret destiny and that there were all these um, secret societies that were helping America along and that we were supposed to be the, the grand you know achievement of, right. of metaphysics in the world. And so all this research in some ways supported that idea. In some ways it said, no, those things aren't true. But it was so fascinating to be able to have it. And I often felt like, you know, I'd find these new books or articles and I'd be like, God, I wish I could just go into his office, you know, and and go, look at this. You know, this is the thing that you've been waiting for. So, yeah, that's why. And about America, because I think America, first of all, the the shock of this alternate history of America, right? Yeah. but (laughs) also we're in a crisis, right? And, And what I kept seeing was that this division in the country has existed from the start. And so really early on, for example, you've got the very earliest pilgrims, um, Miles Standish, you know, and all them, and they are, they're really, you know, lousy neighbors. They're mean. (laughs) They, They, if you don't agree with them, they, they, they find ways to hurt you. They're suspicious. They're, they see the devil everywhere. They're afraid of the wilderness in America because they think that it's filled with satanic influences and, but then at the same time, you had this guy, Tom Morton, who came out from England and started a place called Marymount. And he was a little pagan. He, he put up a Maypole on May Day. He did a big poem song, kind of humorous, but but sincere to a goddess. He did a big party on May Day where he invited all the indigenous tribes. He invited the pirates. And the traders, and I mean, everybody was invited, including the pilgrims, that were the only ones who didn't show up. And the pilgrims spread this, you know, oh, it was an orgy. They were all getting drunk. It was awful and horrible. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, Tom Morton said that actually, the women among the indigenous tribes were more moral than the women back home in England. And they all had this wonderful time getting to know each other. And they talked about their dreams and their families and their histories. Well, that's the two Americas, right? There's one America that's like, you do what I say. And if you don't do what I say, then you're in trouble because God wills it. And there's another America that's like, I want to know what you believe. I want to I know everything about you. We can all be together and find unity in our diversity, I saw that all the way through the history of America. So seeing that we were in the midst of this crisis, I felt like here, you know, here take this information about what the country was really like. And for people like us, here's all these people we never heard of who, who really represent the America that we love right? and not this America that we're all fighting against.
0: Yeah. That's super cool. That, thank Thank you. you. That that's, I mean, that's, incredibly cool because I it does you know obviously it hurts like I I, I'm from Los Angeles so I've always had this thing where like I'm obsessed with like pre-code era Los Angeles and this and that but like when Los Angeles as a whole you know I'm like not that proud of not ashamed you know but it's just this weird thing where also when you come from Los Angeles it's like one of the few places that doesn't have um, hometown pride I think like uh, so just this idea of What's happened to America? Um, being proud of it used to be really like cool, you know, like MC5 yeah. or whatever. Like, being yeah, proud yeah. of freedom, you know, our cars, freedom. Yeah, and and we do have so much freedom, uh, and uh, and I learn more and more each time we go somewhere else how much freedom we do have. But yeah, yeah, I f- I feel like thank you for writing this book and for saying this stuff because oh, it doesn't have to I, I tend to have this dichotomy this extremist dichotomy of something is either good or bad but you're also allowed to like the parts you like and not like the parts you don't like and this reminds me that yeah a lot of cool stuff has happened here um, yeah I've got a quick question focus. for you yeah if you don't mind. yeah
1: um, you just remind no. me of something when we were touring um, yeah. this would be in the 90s and the early 2000s yeah we would never rent vans from california
0: because oh, if yeah? you went
1: if you went across the country and a van with california plates like every cop and and obnoxious person would, would yeah. somehow magnet to you is that still the case or
0: well it's you know what that's if that's funny i my only other I was in a van or in a band in New York that had New York plates and it had graffiti all over it. And wow. like uh, that, that got pulled over a lot. I feel like what's interesting is I think we kind of look like a, like a, a cult in a lot of ways. Cause there's like Larry and then like four women or, you know, and we just, the way that we, I always imagine people to think we're like some extremist uh witchy cult or something I, I but you know, like I I think we get when they look inside the van they are like, okay, go ahead. uh but yeah, I I know what you're saying. I think if we were a bunch of dudes probably we would uh get treated uh like, yeah, for California plates, like a bunch well, of stuff. Well, no, I, I was actually out
1: <laughs> there with um, – my band was Two Girls and Me. Yeah. And then, and then the band we were touring with was Three Girls. So okay. it was two vans, me, and then a bunch of girls. So I, I hear you on the cult thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, it's uh, funny. Yeah, I was
1: lucky, though, because we had – Tamara in particular, but all the girls were so, like, they handled that stuff so well. Like one time we got pulled over, I think, in Kansas – yeah. And this cop was like, do you have receipts for all your gear? And I was thinking, oh, no. Right. Yeah. And and so Tamara just started laughing. And yeah. she went, receipts for this junk? <laughs> and then he was still like, he was really strict, you know. And then she said, I'll yeah. tell you what. You want us to set up and play for you?
0: Oh, that's, that's <laughs> good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and they let us go.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I feel, I don't know why. I guess, like, knock on wood. But we've been... Yeah, we've we've gone undetected for quite some time. I That's think it great. might be we have a Bigfoot sticker on the back that has the New Mexico flag. Oh, um, and go. I feel like that since we've had that sort of uh, on the back, I feel like we haven't been bugged too much. But yeah, I,
1: we I, would we would always start our tours in Seattle and then rent our vans in Seattle.
0: So That's we at least we had, which
1: wasn't that much better, by the way. Yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. still thought you were stoners, but yeah. But it was better than California because that, that was uh yeah. The California it, plates were not something you wanted.
0: Totally. I understand fully. Like <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean I will keep you posted about that. do, um,
1: I wouldn't be I'm interested.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I forgot uh I forgot what we were talking about. Which I, I was, we
1: were talking I, about how we can <laughs> find something to love about a country uh, that yeah. we're, we're afraid of and angry at. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, I guess I wanted to ask you one question about the – it was a, the newspaper, the Pla- – Yeah, to, the Platonist. The Platonist. Was there – I mean, aside from it sounding like a magical-looking thing, was there anything else that pulled you to it? Do you And do you think that was like fate or – What, what do you think there's anything like magical that happened with you? There
1: was, there was something very magical that happened with the Platonist, which was now you have to understand, of course, that that is talk about rare, right? How many of these were first printed were very limited. And then how many survived. So um, I got really into that one. And one day Tam and I were walking across the street from the whiskey after going to a gig and there was a place across from the whiskey back then called the Hippodrome. No, the Hippocampus. And that had been there way back, like back in the days when Jim Morrison was playing the whiskey. And we, walked, we loved the story. It had all this weird stuff in it. And we walked in and we found to our shock, a bound copy of the Platonist. Wow! And a few little Thomas Taylor books. He translated a lot of that stuff too. And a lot of Thomas Taylor was in the Platonist. So we were like, wow. Now this thing was probably worth thousands of dollars. And, but we went, okay, you know, let's see, maybe they don't know what it is. So went up to the guy front, would like to buy this. He says, oh, uh, okay, hold on. Goes back to the back and he calls the owner. She's an old lady now. So she doesn't really come in. And he explains the situation. He comes back to us and he says, are you buying this for the leather? So it looks good on the shelf or are you going to read it? (laughs) I said, oh no, no, we're gonna read it. And he came back and he sold it to us for a hundred bucks.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. So that that to me was kismet. It was it was some yeah. kind of serendipity. So having a copy of it at home, now I was really, you know, I eventually sold that to buy gear, but also yeah, because yeah. but also because I couldn't really take proper care of it. You know, and okay. living in LA, as you know, everything dries out and I just felt bad because i could like, turn a page and i could feel it was just about to rip you know and i was like this needs to be in a good library yeah and it is now so but anyway so yeah i do think there was some kismet in it and uh, both Tamara and i were so fascinated by this thing and it turned out that it had connections to everybody because the guy who was the editor of it thomas johnson he was a vice president of the theosophical society And he was the head of the Western chapter of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor. So he was like at the center of of all this esoteric stuff going on at the end of the 1800s. And he was friends with people like Ralph Waldo Emerson and Bronson Alcott and the New England Transcendentalists. So he had a huge influence, even though he was really obscure. And that, that just fascinated us and the way it kept connecting to all these incredible people. For instance, he was the first one to publish anything about Sufism in America, in that, in the Platonists, there was a whole section about the Sufis and that's so amazing to me. So I wanted people to know about him and and everybody like him.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you a question and you can feel free to not answer Uh, this for all questions, but Do you feel your, um, like desire and passion and, um, all of, uh, and your drive, uh, in this direction to learn these things and share them is, um, something that like cultivated in this lifetime, or do you think it relates to something that happened in a past life and, or do you know or care?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I mean, it certainly was um, in for both Tamara and I, there were signs that we were headed in this way. So, for example, um, because, of course, she worked with me on this book, you know, um, the when she was a kid growing up in the San Fernando Valley, amongst people who were not reading books, she stumbled on a book of Greek mythology and she was obsessed with it. So she had this thing about Greek mythology from when she was like seven years old or something. And then for me, when I, I saw this rerun of um, the very first Star Trek series had this episode about Apollo and and it just got me. And I was really like, you know, Greek gods. I got to find out more about the Greek gods. And and so I did. And and in fact, the funny thing is that at the same time, I was into creating this scroll that I did that was like every monster that I loved. Like I I I drew it. And then I, I taped them together into a scroll and rolled wow, them up. Wow,
0: that's so cool.
1: That sounds like a past <laughs> life, right? Like, you yeah. know, like messing around with scrolls and all that. So now I've been told that I I was a, a um, scribe in ancient Egypt and cool. um, all kinds of things. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but but I, I definitely have a a knack for it, like, like synchronicities. I, but also, I don't know how much of this I learned from him for Manly Hall because right. well, working with him, I, I saw this, you know, and, and I right. absorbed his thirst because he was just, this was an, you know, an 80 something year old man who was coming to work every day, thrilled to learn new things.
0: Right. But your connection with him, even would you say that? I, I'm just curious. And I, I guess this is personal, but like how much like you, you're steeped in this beautiful enchanted world of all these mystical possibilities. And I just wonder how much you uh, think about your own path that way. If you know, do you know what I mean? Like, Oh <laughs> well, yeah.
1: Um, I feel um, I'm trying to work on, on the Bodhisattva vow because I don't, I'm not there, What's <laughs> which that? is What's this. That? Yeah. The, the Bodhisattva vow. The idea was that, um, that somebody had reached a, enlightenment, they had full attainment. So they didn't have to be here anymore. And they were about to step off the cliff, as they say, into the sky and, and become a star. And so, but when they did, as they were standing there, they saw just a little ways down on the edge of the cliff, there was a little bird nest and the little birds in it were alone and they were crying out because they were afraid. And it touched his heart. And at that point he gave this vow that he would never leave until every single being was enlightened. And that made him into a Buddha. And for me, I really want to get out of the cycle of reincarnation. Like I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who's like, okay. same, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like I want to wake up and I want to go on to whatever the next thing is. Cause this has all been, been fun. But then on the other hand, I do feel, you know, I feel that way about nature. I feel that way about some people. I feel, I do have that feeling of, oh, you know, I mean, you can't just leave them down here like this, you know, right. you've got, you've got to do something. And, and so, um, I feel like, like, I definitely feel like I came here to do this on some level because I've been really weirdly blessed by meeting the right people and having the right opportunities. And, and I'm not somebody I and mean, before I met Manly Hall I was a bad guy. I mean I I was really a criminal and <laughs> um and very nihilistic. I mean I I was really into my first band was like you know let's let's ruin every party. Let's let's encourage all the unhappiest people to get out there and and mess up everybody who ha- who feels that life is worthwhile. I mean I was just so negative, you know.
0: But don't you think sorry is sure. I- I'm, I don't know how to really say this without sounding like really stupid or something. But when I was a kid, I thought everyone was supposed to achieve Nirvana. I thought that that was like what you did when you were an adult or something. Yeah. And I think like you having that past kind of like, you know, the ascended master or whatever the stuff is. It's like, it takes you, you like being in the gutter in some way you know like I think that that's part of that journey don't you think
1: (laughs) well the good thing about it I think was that it made me understand that so for instance when I'm dealing with people who are like full-on QAnon or Trumpers you know that I I get them because that's the people that I sang to when in my (laughs) first band and I you know it was really it was a fascist band and we were we were like you know, we had two white guys standing there like this on the side of the stand. I mean, it was really ugly. And, but I get, I get it. I get that they are motivated by, by fear and idealism too, that, that they're not just mean, you know, ignorant, evil people, that they're really trying. The, The irony to me is that they kind of feel like we do. They're going, Oh my God, what's wrong with the country? Everything's messed up. And, and we gotta do something, we gotta make it better. We can't, you know, we have freedom here. They say the same things, but they see everything in this kind of mirror reverse view thing, which is partially based, I think, on the the influence of Christianity on women and the desire to control women and to control women's bodies and 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 all that stuff that's been part of this whole history, unfortunately. And so do you think
0: that's the the main like the that's that's the jam that's the main thing because i i just try and i'm curious (laughs) like what it is that is i and i'm sorry i did it again it's not like black and white there's not just have to be one but that is to you one of the major motivating factors of whatever's happening now is uh like like the women autonomy kind of thing
1: oh i think so i think there's a lot of hatred of women and uh it's i mean you you probably have had some experience with us in in being in in a riot girl band for me i mean boy did we see it i mean we used to play shows and nazi punks would show up to break it up because they didn't want girls to be talking about feminism on stage
0: yeah i mean our my experience is and i'm sure Tamara, anyone it's a it's every second of the day. Like, yeah. it's not, <laughs> it's not yeah. like I didn't really realize it before. I thought I'm like super short. Mm-hmm. And I always thought people were just treating me that way because I was like short. Mm-hmm. But then once I realized like, that's not what <laughs> it's yeah, not it's like because I'm weird I mean, or whatever. Yeah. It's like, no, it's oh, that's because I'm a, a girl. Um, yeah. But um, no, I'm just curious because I there's so many things I've learned that I'm like, what is at the core of it? Because like, when you say we're free, I think people might not... I think everyone has a different association with that. But we were yeah. on tour um, this year with a band from Africa, and they had many members from Europe. And uh, one of the European dudes was like... We were just talking about medicine, medication, and he said he has insomnia. So his doctor there in uh, Belgium gave him four sleeping pills for four months. Uh, and I personally get sleeping pills for every night. That's how my doctor works, uh, which I'm very grateful for. But it's like our freedom. I don't think people realize what that means. Like right. um, like our healthcare system is obviously so messed up, but yeah. uh, to the extent that they make us unhealthy, you know, whatever it is, I'm just curious, like, um, I'm always trying to get to the bottom of what what it is, if it's housing, sure. if it's women, if it's medicine. I'll tell you
1: my, my, my yeah, idea about it. Um, <laughs> two things I, that I notice that stand out. One is that there is this, there's jealousy. And this jealousy, I think, is basically sexuality. So men in particular, but other women as well, when they see a woman who seems free and happy and she's, you know, she's comfortable with her sexuality, whatever that is. And they're not, maybe they're in a religion that tells them that that's bad, that you shouldn't have fun and you shouldn't be, you should only be married if you're going to have fun. If even then there's this just instinctive jealousy, I think that occurs. So when you see a woman who's free and I remember this again, when we used to tour and Tamara would at one point we had, we had these two women, Tamara and, and then our drummer, Debbie, who was this stunning blonde vision and, <laughs> and, and they would like walk into the room and it was like instant hate. Like they just saw them like, oh, these blondes, you know, they, what do they know? You know, they, they've been privileged all their lives. Now I knew that they had been raped and abused and, and they had horrible lives. They'd been treated terribly as though they were stupid when they were really smart. That's one thing. I think that's a very common human thing. Like, I'm not happy. I'm not having the kind of sex I want with the kind of person I want it with. And they are. They're bad. <laughs> so that's one. And Christianity tells you, yes, they're bad. Yes. And, and then the other one, I think, is related to um, something that's, that's really scary, which um, it's desertification. And this, this is throughout history we see this. There's a wonderful book called The Garden of Our Dreams About This by Brian Griffith. And what happens is human societies get into a really fertile area and they have they just flourish. And they turn into this art and civilization and there's religion and all these things happen and women get rights, women have the right for property and minorities get rights. And we see that Even gay people who are usually the last, they get rights and it's okay to be gay. There's gay art and there's gay literature. And then there's too many of us and things start to run out. The climate might change. It gets hotter or colder and there's not as much food. And the next thing that happens is the men stand up and go, okay, that's it. No more rights for you. Ladies back in the kitchen, You're going to be breeding and you guys, you're no good for war. So you're out and we don't trust minorities. We don't know where you came from or who you are. So you're, you're secondary citizens. Now we're taking over because we got to fight because we got to protect what we have, or we got to go take somebody else's stuff because we can't go on like this. Well, we do seem to be there. I mean, we've been creeping up on this for some time, and now we're in extreme climate change conditions, and we're affecting food distribution and all that. And the human instinct in history is for autocratic, militaristic men and the women who support them to stand up and say, that's it, enough nonsense. Now we've got to be strict again
0: right
1: so we're in a big struggle here because for the first time in history women are positioned in power as they've never been before just you know i just pray that 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 enough of us of us who support you and of you are there in the world now to prevent this from happening again because you can see in politics in america right now that there are people who do want this to happen again so first thing we're going to do is that right to abortion, which is so important for women to be able to, you know, have choice. I mean, again, in Riot Girl, we used to run into so many women, young women who were guilty about the abortion they had had or, you know, tormented because the church told them they would be damned. And it was so powerful for them to sit with women like Tamara, who would be, you know, he's saying, no, you've got the right. This is your body. You know, you, you choose your life. And uh, well, now it's a real problem. And and a woman is, again, in the position yeah. where she might become pregnant accidentally or uh, in some way that isn't intentional. And and she's told, that's it. This is, you know, you're a mother now. And whatever other plans you have will have to be put on hold while you deal with this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so no, I think I th- those
1: are the two things that really, yeah. the two things I've noticed.
0: Do you think, I think I... I, I agree with you in lots of ways. I do think that sexuality, I just wonder, I think sexuality has a huge, huge, huge impact on what's going on. Uh, And I think people's um, perceptions of what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do because of what other people think is like, yeah, is, is, is the worst thing possible prison you can put someone in is, is to not just be themselves and not because of you, uh, what you want. Um, and I, I can speak as a, as a person that's been in that sort of prison. It's like, you just, you know, luckily I just turned on myself. I didn't turn on others, but it was just like this idea of not being able to be who you truly are. Um, and I can't imagine how it must feel to be a man (laughs) <laughs> in a marriage with a bunch of kids or whatever it is uh, living, you know, in a life that they, that they didn't, they don't want. I can't imagine yeah. just as bad as it is for me, a woman or anyone to be, you know, just as bad as it is to be like, I don't, this isn't the body I'm supposed to be in all of that stuff. It's, it's not good for anyone. Right. So it's, you yeah. know, but I think it's just, yeah, as people, certain people um take it out on other people and some people take it out on themselves which sucks Uh, and there's this long um,
1: (laughs) history right where it's like you know yes i'm i'm in a marriage that i don't like i got the kids that i don't like and but when i go hang out with the guys i I might have a girl on the side or i might go see a hooker i mean there's a long thing where (laughs) men kind of have this they're there. They can go do something else, you know, and they can yeah. get they can get a little bit of this, but usually in very destructive ways. Right. Because they're they're exploiting the women that are involved in this to some degree. They're 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 trying to separate sexuality as a bad thing in a well, sense. And the yeah. women who provide it, therefore, are lesser citizens, while the wife is, you know, that she's the one who's raising the children, that split, which goes way back, of course, in history, yeah. is so unhealthy for both genders.
0: Yeah, it's that's the thing I really like to remember that we like the healing has to happen on both sides because yeah. it's it's and it has to happen on all sides because it's everyone's yeah. sort of uh, burden. But I guess I wonder, like, do you think this cycle? um is i I just wonder with all this alien stuff happening if they're just like oh my god like oh they they found plastic again they just invented that again don't they know what that does like i can't believe they keep doing this like do you have a sense that this cycle continues to happen in the same way over and over again or is that like I mean on Earth or is that yeah. just multi-dimensional? Well, I had
1: a friend who was um he was a Cherokee um a Cherokee Indian who was a Taos Pueblo shaman and and he was also a trans channel. And I once talked to him about this, and he said that that not only were there several civilizations on this planet that had destroyed themselves basically. But he said that that we had already destroyed several planets. But he said, but he said, (laughs) you have all eternity in which to learn. So it's okay. But um but yeah, you know, we're and he also says something else, I think, which is is kind of funny, but (laughs) I thought I think it might be true uh tamra asked him once what you know what is why are we here why are we on planet earth what's the meaning of this life experience and he said well planet earth is a combination of kindergarten and the devil's island of space and he said the reason it's way over here is because all the little hitlers from all the other worlds come to planet earth where you learn some very basic lessons
0: Wow that's crazy that (laughs) that feels true in so many ways um and i guess oh yeah i wanted to ask you real quick also um is um astrology Mm -hmm. uh what i i don't know that much about it but i guess i wonder my feeling I just got my charts right for the first time recently, and it blew my mind. And I was like, oh, my God, that is insane (laughs) to me. Like, um, basically, I always uh, I'm a Virgo. So I felt like, oh, I'm such an earth bitch. That's it straight up. But like, it turns out um, I'm like so much Libra and my core, everything about me is um, is like is justice and like like I cannot live with one position without completely understanding the other it just makes so much sense to me i had no idea and when i was being read my when she was talking to me about it she was amazing i was just like i can't believe this like yeah. just the way i feel about i was like oh that's so cool and then she's like yeah but that's you and i was like oh did i and sorry to make this so long, but it's like, do no. you think that you choose all of that stuff so you have a roadmap in your life? Or is it the other way around? Or what what's your belief on what our our personal astrological um sign right. system like? Can you please talk about that? <laughs>
1: sure. Um, I love. There's this quote from Plotinus, which is much more beautiful than the paraphrase I'm about to give you, where he says that that the, basically to me it's why astrology works. And he says that he says the planets are like letters written in the sky. He says that that everything is connected, everything breathes together. So it isn't so much that the planets cause us to have certain experiences; it's that we're all in this moment together. And, and in this miraculous way, by reading the positions of the planets, we can get reflections about our own lives and what's coming up next. And it is, it's still, I mean, I've been practicing it for so long and it still blows my mind constantly how accurate it can be. And I didn't believe in it when I first started working for Manly Hall. And I, I actually said to him once in the early days there, uh, you know, really? Like you <laughs> believe in that? and he thought that was very funny and he said well I'll tell you what you can debate me about it but first you need to learn something about it so he introduced me to this great astrologer Peggy Fatani and she I had the same experience as you she read my chart and blew my mind and I never debated him because it was so obvious that this stuff had something going on yeah and I do think that I think that it depends on where you are at in the the scale of evolving here so if you're still flying around in karma right so you're doing nasty things down here and you're you've you no spiritual consciousness i think that you're you're kind of it's designed for you you know okay this is your next life that you've earned and you're going in at this time because the planets will be right for this whole process of life that you need to experience to wake up for people like us who have spiritual awareness who come into here with some experience with this stuff i think we do collaborate in choosing you know, how do I get down here at the right time so I can meet this person and meet that person? And, and so, for instance, in my life, I was really young when I met Manley Hall. I was still in my teens, but but I was there at the time when, I, you know, I, I could only be there then, right? Because if I had waited a few more years, he was gone. And then I had to wait this really long time to write my book and I had to wait a long time to be in a band with Tamara and Riot Girl because these, those things didn't exist yet, right? Yeah. And I I'd have psychics telling me, well, yeah, you've got lots to do, but not but it's you know, not time yet. And I'd always wondered, what are they talking about? I mean, yeah. time is going by, you know. Yeah and, yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden, Riot Girl happened. And suddenly Tamara was was telling me, Oh my god, we we've got to go to the show. And next thing we knew, we were opening for bikini kill. And so that that kind of thing. Um, makes me feel like yes there was some kind of design here so that we could meet the right people be in the right places and learn the right lessons and the stars reflect this when we when we read our astrology we get a good map of what is expected of us what our potential is and what the pitfalls are <clears throat> excuse yeah. me that we may have
0: it ju- yeah i guess i just <clears throat> with like prior to getting a reading i was like why are you guys always saying you're this and this and the, and I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. But there's I another feel like thing having seen it. It's yeah. Oh, I was going to say
1: when, when sometime when you, when you sit down with your chart, <clears throat> get yourself the Sabian symbols, S A B I A N there's a symbol for every Zodiac degree.
0: What? Whoa. Yeah. And you look at
1: your planet and stuff and it's like, Wow, like like they are amazing, man. Like you really will be blown away.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I just feel like it's like I could imagine myself creating my chart like the, what it how it's how it's interpreted as the laws I want to abide by. Like, I can yeah. imagine myself being like, this is what you have to think is important. These are the virtues you have to stick to. Like, it just, it's, and that might sound funny because it's like, yeah, of course it's you, but it's like, I, it's in a deeper way because I never knew that that was truly, yeah, it just, I can imagine myself because I feel like laws. They feel like codes of ethics and mm-hmm. ways I need to be um and barometers and you know all of these different yeah, and tools and, right and tools yeah tools for sure but yeah, yeah I guess that I just was like um because also that how it interplays with what's happening to all of us I guess is really interesting and something I'm not even prepared to understand. Uh but yeah um and so you do you do weekly updates mm-hmm. Do you, do you read people's charts or do you like doing that?
1: I do it uh, only usually in emergency situations with people okay. that I know or stuff like that. Um, okay. and I don't, I've never, I don't do it like to get paid to do it or, okay. or anything like that. Okay. Um, I do the weekly one that started out as me writing it down and I would share it with a couple bandmates and a couple of friends who were interested in, and they would always be like, Ronnie, what's going on in this, in the heavens. And so I would, I would just here. And then I posted it when things got wacky in 2016. I would post sometimes about astrology, but so many of my friends were crushed in 2016 by the election. Yeah. And, and they were so depressed and, and negative. And so I started to do this as just a way of saying, okay, you know, this is where we are, it's going to change. And then COVID hit. And so I kept doing it. And and it is amazing. Um, I, I've caught some things where you know, I, for instance, I wrote about something bad happening in January, 2020, uh, a, a big time before that. And um, it's, it does amaze me how often it, it. I mean, the best one is in 2008, when I was seeing that Pluto and Sagittarius was going to shift into Pluto and Aquarius, I'm sorry, in Capricorn. And now, and, you know, Pluto and Sagittarius was like stock market up, up, up. And, you know, bullshit walks and money talks and it was everybody was just so optimistic and it was everything was lavish and it was always going to get more 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 and then i saw that pluto and capricorn and i thought you know that shift from sagittarius to capricorn is like falling on your face i mean it's sagittarius is like i don't care if it's a lie does it work and you know then Mm -hmm. capricorn comes in and goes the facts the truth the limits and I thought we're going to have a bad market crash. Something's going to happen. I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was. But yeah. the funny thing was talking to people uh, I knew who were in the finance industry, and they were they were kind of sitting there going, uh, "Things, you know, I'm a little worried about about how swelled up everything is." And uh, but they would always be like, "Oh, come on, Ronnie, you know, the stars, you know, Pluto's going into, you know." But man, I'm telling you, within days of Pluto going into Capricorn, the whole world market crashed. The whole economy, everybody thought that it was the end of the world. And it was just like yeah. immediate. And that amazes me. And I always sit there and think all these people, especially people who are so powerful and wealthy, they're all, they, usually they laugh at astrology and then they act like puppets.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I guess. Um do you have do you see anything uh anything exciting in october uh anything in the heavens we should look at or see well
1: the the actually you know we're in the last um about three and a half months of pluto and capricorn there will be a little more like 10 weeks of it thereabouts in uh next year right in time for the presidential election which sucks but that we will have Pluto and Capricorn for the ple- presidential election. Okay. But all the rest of 2024 and the next 20 years are Pluto and Aquarius. And okay. that's as violent a shift as as Sagittarius to Capricorn, but going the other way. So now it's like cool. Capricorn, Saturn, Saturn, Saturn. and Uranus, is here to break up saturn like uranus's job is okay that's enough you know we need new we need we need to change everything break it up and that's what's going to start happening we already see it happening with big strikes that are going on with the unions that's very aquarius and um and there's also other big shifts coming um we have neptune in pisces now neptune in pisces is you know, it's the end. It's the end of a long cycle of two, over two hundred years, and and so there's this feeling of nostalgia, and old culture is still very dominant, and older people are very dominant. Well, yeah, I can just,
0: feel that coming. You feel that, yeah. Impression. Well, that's
1: changing, in, yeah, and very soon, and I think it's in a year or two, and that's going to be Neptune and Aries starts a new two hundred year cycle crazy. Yeah. yeah, And, and the same thing with Saturn, which is in Pisces also ending a, a long cycle. Uh, this one's about 28 years, something like that. And, and then it goes into Aries and starts a whole new cycle. And then Uranus, which is in Taurus now messing with food and finances and all that, and kind of forcing everything to change is going to move into Gemini. And that's going to be this is going to be very interesting, but okay. um, but there there will be a lot of like new ideas and new writing, and of course the impact of artificial intelligence and all that. So we have four huge major planetary shifts in the next couple of years. So I'll, I'll tell you, man, in five years, hopefully we'll be sitting here and talking, and we'll both yeah. be going, "Whoa!"
0: Yeah, I I think <laughs> we will. Let's let's make an appointment for in five years. I have I I have a feeling. Yeah. I, my feeling is that uh, the pendulum is swinging and good stuff is coming. And at least if not good stuff, at least the end of the old stuff, I feel. I think so too. Um, I think
1: that you have a, you have, you really do have, um, a generational thing happening where the boomers who have had such a dominant influence on everything, um, they, I mean, you know, they're getting up there and we have a boomer president. We have a boomer former president. We have, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're clinging to power and, and culture, because look how dominant. I mean, still to this day, the bands that are filling the big stadiums for the most part are the Rolling Stones and, you know, Motley Crue. I mean, he's dated, you know, these bands from way back and it's hard for young bands to achieve these high levels because of the way the business is set up and, and all those things. So, I do think that will change radically, and the new tech will change it. But above all, the new generations will change it because, oh, yeah, we've, yeah, we've got <laughs> Pluto and Capricorn kids were being born in 2008. So, they are now reaching like 14, 15 years old. And we just got uh, in spring of this year our very first few Pluto and Aquarius babies. Cool. those two generations man that's fourth quadrant they call that in astrology they say okay. that that uh, Sagittarius Capricorn Aquarius and Pisces are the higher dimension higher level souls tend to come in to those Pluto placements and I would say that I mean the kids that I've met who are Pluto and Capricorn they're exactly as you would expect them to be they're like little old people they're really smart they're they're very responsible they're you know they're going to be great and the Pluto and Aquarius kids are going to probably look at us like we're cave people.
0: <laughs> totally, Yeah. That's awesome though. I think, and a big part of it is what you're saying. I think is that there's a, at least recently or in the last 20 years, this like sexuality kind of thing has been more present and more um, public and more normal Uh, is normal and looks normal and people are allowed to kind of be themselves in some places Um, but I think that more people being born with that just being part of their tv part of their music part of their Mm -hmm. art part of their whole world Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're gonna be say no when someone tells them that's not normal they're gonna be like no (laughs) that's normal it's normal to have different like interests uh, it's normal for yeah. me to do what i want with my body like it's yeah. that's what's normal there's no normal isn't what somebody tells you to do that's not normal that's strange exactly. like well th- that's but, where
1: the power <laughs> lies i think is is both in the young people and yeah. in women and if you look at the last yeah. election <laughs>
0: you
1: know however you feel about biden and trump the the difference in margin was women and young people that's why we got biden instead of trump and this, I think, will continue in a really big way. I think they made a big mistake with uh, repealing Roe versus Wade from a political point of view, because women are pissed, and so are the men who support them, and they will come out in big numbers. And young people are angry about it too, and and they are angry about everything, and rightfully so, yeah. because this world has been handed to them like a flaming bag of shit, right? Yeah, and they're like, here you go, you know. And so, uh, I've been I've been saying for a long time in my astrology be really nice to the Pluto and Capricorn kids. Cause they're going to be making decisions about all of us and they are not going to be, I mean, you know, Tamara's a Capricorn. And I live with a Capricorn and they are wonderful. I love Capricorns, but they can be cold when it's decision making <laughs> time. And and a lot of it depends Good. on how did you treat me and how did you treat the world.
0: Good. So if you know <laughs> if you
1: treat them bad and we treat the world bad, they may treat us bad. But if yeah. we show them we're really trying, you know, we need you, we believe in you, then I think everybody can have a happier future.
0: Thank you for that tip. And thank you so much. Is there we I guess um, where can people get your book and where else would you like to lead people to find you?
1: Sure. Um, If you want to talk to me um, and if you (laughs) want to know what's going on, probably the best place is Instagram, which is at the Ronnie Pontiac, because somebody beat me to the name. So I had to be the Ronnie Ah. Pontiac. And, um, And then, I, I also, you can just search uh, me in any search engine and you'll see movies that Tamara and I worked on. You'll see our music uh, with our band Lucid Nation and you'll see writing we have online. Like she has this incredible archive. I think she interviewed you, didn't she? Where she, she did this archive of just in, interviews with incredible people. I think it's called uh, Interviews with Extraordinary People or something on Medium.
0: I think maybe, yeah. I, but I, I, I think can think vaguely I... remember. Yeah, I think I didn't know who she was at that time, so that memory isn't connecting that well, but I'll go back and look. But yeah, Uh, I think I interviewed her, so. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: So that's, uh, so that you can find that stuff there. And then um, there's the American Metaphysical Religion book. There's also a book that Tamara and I uh, wrote that just came out a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. um, Called The Magic of the Orphic Hymns.
0: Cool. And
1: that is... um, the history of this incredible i mean man this is it's kind of similar in the sense that this is like the 2000 years of history and it's it, and nobody realizes how influential orpheus and the orphic hymns and the orphic myths were i mean they they almost started the renaissance and they had huge influence on uh, everybody from uh, opera composers to jim morrison and um, so we wrote about the history and then we did a new translation of them because cool. they are amazing. They, you know, Marsilio Ficino, who was called the father of the Renaissance called said, Well, he said, there's no stronger magic than the hymns of Orpheus. And he said that they taught him love and they taught him that the key to magic is love. And then Agrippa, who's like the, the most plagiarized occult writer in history, Uh, with his three books of occult philosophy, he also says that that the Orphic hymns are the strongest magic. So Tamara and I, starting uh, back when we left PRS, we started to mess around with them, and we did an early translation of them. And we, we performed them in this apartment that we lived in, in a third story in the middle of Hollywood. And Uh, We would just kind of kneel by this window and look out at the sky and softly sing these hymns and weird things happened. So one example, like we did the hymn to Athena. Now here we are in the middle of Hollywood and this was in the nineties. So, you know, the animal life wasn't around very much. And an owl, a great horned owl in broad daylight landed on the telephone pole closest to us sat there while we did the hymn to Athena, owl-eyed Athena and then when we finished the hymn, jumped off, swooped right at us at the window, and then swooped up and over the building.
0: That's crazy. And we were
1: blown away. And when we did the hymn to Aphrodite, a couple walked down the pavement right underneath us and they stopped right under us and kissed. So wow. these weird little synchronicities occurred. Yeah. So we said about over the years, we've again there was a huge revolution in research in these areas. And so we did a new translation where we put in, we researched all the, like, correspondences for these gods, like, what was sacred to them. If you wanted this god to notice you, like, what would you want to have in the room with you that are symbols of this god? Because they all have things that are associated with them. So, for instance, Hecate, uh, black puppies is one of the things, and also uh, fish, (laughs) Right, and so you, you could find out those things, and then when you put them together, it was almost like a poem, and you felt like this presence of wow, that's what this this deity is about, and and then they are they're a way of tuning your soul to the divine. Like each hymn looks at a different area of life, and and it reminds you of the divine wisdom in it. It's really beautiful. So those are out now, Whoa. and um, and we have other stuff that'll be coming out. Um, next year so that's 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 where we're at right now
0: amazing well thank you so much for coming here Um, that was delightful yeah um well i will say goodbye i hope you have the best day
1: (laughs) you too bye-bye bye bye. (laughs) thanks for having me